Christmas cakes at work for the farm shop. Barrett in Doncaster, by the way, you show some... Yes, 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 people. We are back in the studio at Unit 137. This is another All Fruits Ripe podcast, and we're in the studio with David Schillinglaw. Hello, David. Hello. How's it going? It's going very well. Thank How you. was it getting down here today? It was okay. It was, it's a very sunny Sunday. So sunny it was, Sunday, is It was isn't nice it? to be waiting for trains, but we did resort to Uber in the end. Like, it was Sunday service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite chill. Okay. And uh, how's things with you, Adam? Yeah, I'm all good. Been hard at work in the studio, and yeah, just the just sound keep, system's ready for some nice sounds on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's all set up again, and um, we're ready to play some music on Clementine. She's just sitting there, taller than all of us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, David, I just wanted to ask um, why you chose this track that we're going to play today. Oh, this track is it's impossible to not enjoy this track i think it's one of those tracks that everybody seems to tap their foot to at least it's my party track it just yeah. makes me feel good it's like an antidepressant i think this track is just the best it's one of my top five definitely cool All so right. adam tell us what is the name of this track well we've got a track a 45 so a little seven inch by charles wright do your thing uh, just trying to find out when it actually came out. Maybe it doesn't say on there. Doesn't say on there. Let's spin it. <laughs> yeah, let's play it. It's timeless. There is no time. There is it no was time. never created. Yeah. It just it just landed on just Earth. Landed. It's from another just planet, happened. apparently. Yeah, <laughs> planet Soul Funk. Thank you. 
brilliant track. Yeah, yeah. Always, track. always, always good. Thanks for selecting that, David. Ah, oh, it's my favourite. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, personally, I haven't heard that particular track before. You you sent it over and listening to it on the sound. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like we were saying when the track was playing. It's like it's kind of like a jam. Yeah, it's you not know? really like a song, like a three minute. There's no chorus or verse, really. It's just yeah. a it's just a vibe. It is just a vibe, and I think everybody loves listening to that track. So I don't know. Well, the interesting thing is, is that I've got many versions of "Do Your Thing" by other people, uh-huh. uh, and I've got many Charles Wright tracks. I didn't have that track uh-huh. yet, and so now that track sits in my collection, and it's the David Schillinglaw track. Yeah. <laughs> So I just wanted to ask, in terms of your art, mm. what um, your outside work, what do you consider it? Do you consider it to be street art, mural work, graffiti? I just wanted to see what you... It's an interesting question because I have worked in so many different places and people often use many different terms to describe kind of the same thing. Right. And I'm, I remember being asked about it, like someone was talking about it being graffiti, and I was in Istanbul painting something and I was like, this is definitely not graffiti. This is, there was no words in the piece. It was purely visual. I didn't even sign it with my name. Mm-hmm. I said, this is a mural. Or actually, it's a painting. But when does a painting become a mural? Because, I mean, I've painted on small walls inside. I don't know if I'd call that a mural. It's, I feel like I'm painting a canvas on someone's wall. So mm. I think the um, definitions of something can be up to the person looking at it, really. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think sometimes the material gets in the way. So people see someone using spray paint, they think graffiti. Street art is a funny term because I can love it and hate it at the same time. It's a bit like pop music. I feel like street art is a very interesting thing because it's, it's a movement, it's an international scene, and yet it can be so varied. Unlike cubism or fauvism or whatever, street art, you can do anything. Mm. And its definition is because it's in the street. But I think it can also be a bit dangerous because it you start to, um, I don't know, identify with something that maybe you didn't mean to. Or I don't really call what I do street art. Sometimes I paint in the street. I love painting in the street. It's like an energy thing for me. It's a bit like being a musician and playing live. And if you paint a big wall in the street, it's a physical thing. There's an energy there. Um, and I'm quite hyperactive and painting in the street, it releases that for me. Like when I used to sing in a band, mm. it used to, it gives me an outlet to it. I also mm. love, I paint on mattresses. Whenever I see a, an old dirty mattress in the street, yeah, yeah. I write something on it or draw a little face. And again, that's like... Do you carry paint around with you? I always have a can with me usually, yeah. Mm. And yeah, if I, I don't, I'll see a mattress. I yeah, heard, for I heard, sure. I heard something in the bag. Yeah, you know, I heard that. Yeah, I just always, <laughs> it's kind of like a, my water bottle, can of spray paint. And uh, my keys. Survival more, kit. Yeah, nice. card. <laughs> but yeah, painting a mattress is a nice little thing. But again, I don't sign it. It's like, I write something like, it's a god eat god world, or it's nice to be nice. Yeah. And I don't sign it. It's for other people to see it. And uh, it's like a is fake there like advertising. A, is is like, there like a philosophy behind the words? And Because like I was watching the video you sent, and there's a beautiful poem that you've written that you're speaking, or it feels like a poem. Thanks, yeah, it's just a bit of writing I did, but I do, I love words and I like playing with meanings and spellings and misspellings, like God eat God world, for example. Is a but is there thing. like a, a general David Schilling or philosophy about the, the moods and the, the sort of the feeling that you're trying to put out into the world? Just the importance of play, playing, right. and playing with things in very simple ways can be have quite a profound effect. If you change dog into God, it's so stupid. It's actually quite clever because it's right. like you can talk to children like that. And again, like just optimism in the face of so much bloody toxic negative stuff going on. So writing keep smiling on a mattress, it's not that original. I didn't come up with keep smiling, but I love that it's got this universal uh, language that anyone Indian, African, Chinese, gay, straight, communist, doesn't matter, keep smiling. It, for me, it flicks a little switch that just makes me feel good. So I, I like that, making people smile. Is yeah. that enough th- of a philosophy? I don't know. No, I think it's nice. I mean, it, in, when I look through your work, especially on your Instagram, I, I feel like a higher level of consciousness coming from you. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know whether that's because of who I am as a person and the values I hold or through the music, which we listen to. Adam and I listen to quite similar music and it's all about bettering oneself and like a high level of 
of collective consciousness on the planet. Mm. And I feel like when I'm looking through your, it's hard to see on Instagram because you've got a lot of smaller writing that you can't always see. But from the viewer's perspective, it feels like you're trying to reach out a general positiveness in, yeah. in the world. Always. I mean, what's the, I wouldn't want to do something negative. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've, I think a lot of my work is aware of the negative things. Like keep smiling is not saying, yay, everything's great. It's saying everything's not that great, but mm. continue to yeah, smile. Yeah. And I think I want to talk to people because like, otherwise, why am I doing is it just for me? Like when I make art, there's usually any sort of art I make, a mural, a canvas, there's usually three dialogues going on. There's one with myself, I'm talking to myself, I'm trying to make sense of stuff. There's one with art history. So I'm talking to Picasso and Da Vinci or whatever. And then the third is a conversation with anyone else, mm. an audience who I'll probably never meet. So I think it's really important to be aware of those dialogues and mm. that it's not too much of one or too much of the other. I think it should be a mix. Um, but, and the titles and the words, that's all part of it. Duchamp said that a title is another color on your palette. Right. And it really annoys me when I see untitled. I think that's really... Yeah. It's unoriginal, I well, find. it's just a bit weird. Yeah. I think if you're going to make something, it should... And just language is, is a, a great tool, isn't it? It's like mm. this great human thing. It's what connects us, how we're able to have this conversation because of these weird noises that come out of my mouth. Yeah. But um, you understand it. And I'm fascinated with that, especially yeah. because in other parts of the world, if you see Arabic written, it's just abstract. If right. I hear Chinese spoken, it's just noises. And somehow you can learn and decipher and access each other right. by those noises. Yeah. We're just mm. animals who make really good noises. <laughs> yeah. And then occasionally we paint those noises. Yeah. <laughs> and words are interesting to me to paint because the geometric shapes, I like some specific letters and numbers. They look nice. And it's the first abstraction, like typography and numbers, being able to write something down was the first kind of like magic in a way. In fact, the, the idea, I, I read this article by Alan Moore. Do you know Alan Moore? Mm. He wrote The Watchman and V for Vendetta. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a magician and a story writer, but he's really into magic. And he said that the first magicians were just the people that could record stories. And in fact, to cast a spell is to spell. And the right. first book of magic is called The Grimoire, which is just a fancy way of saying grandma. Right. So it was like the ability to write and draw, so like hieroglyphics and like record a story. That was like the breakthrough of our sort of cognitive revolution because we could talk, animals can talk and say, there's a tiger coming. But animals can't write it down and tell their grandchildren that once upon a time a great tiger came. So right. writing and, and numbers, being able to record things like volume and size and time. And that's who we are really. Mm. We're, that's our. I think that's our greatest tool. Mm. Never mind engines or computers. I think storytelling and how you record it. That's. And so when you're working on your concepts and your ideas of, or like I guess a sketch or an idea of what you want to put into a space, how do you? Because you work very similarly in the studios you do outside. Is there any kind of time when you go, right, I'm going to try something totally different in the studio or I'm going to try something totally different outside? And then those, um, those sort of discoveries change the way in which a process or a thought happens on the other side of your work process. Cool. Yeah, I always try and make things different. In fact, I'm conscious of never really doing the same painting. But right. then sometimes that's problematic because I'll be in, like, I'm thinking last week I painted something and I hadn't planned it, it was a last minute decision. And I got there and I really didn't know what I was gonna do. And there's something nice about jamming and make things up, but then you, you also ha kind of want it to look like stuff you've done before because right. you want people to, to know it's yours. It. And mm. if you've only got two hours to paint a wall and you've only got so much paint to do it, there's certain things basically I can rely on, like right. certain visual tricks or techniques or characters or colors that go to well together. I'm like, oh, I can do that. Or even a phrase like, but I don't like to write the same phrase twice. But sometimes I do because walking down the street in a rush, I'm like, oh, I can't think of something funny to say. All <laughs> yeah. oh, right, it's nice to be nice because yeah. everyone loves that or keep smiling. But yeah. um, I also love the challenge of doing something new. And that moment when you discover something new, you come up with a phrase. Um, I was walking here today and I was gonna write 
too hip to be happy or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's... And then I was like, oh, could it be too happy to be hip or too happy to be a hipster? Or started playing mm. with it in my head. But I also don't really... Be too really happy like... to be hippie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like not knowing, basically. I like the, the moment. Like, I'm, I'm doing a mural in a few months and they keep asking me for a, um, a sketch. And I'm like, I hate it doesn't being asked really work. But this wall's huge, so yeah. they need a sketch. Yeah. And I did a few sketches and they're like, but it doesn't look like you're... What? And I'm like, well, first of all, it's going to be different than the stuff you saw that I did two years ago. And also, I will make it up as I go along. Like, I, right. It won't be projected. It will be a freestyle. And I'll discover things while I'm doing it. So your work is very much about the spontaneous and in the moment. And so you, perhaps you come out with an idea, but it evolves and changes through the process of making Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I've done big murals before. I remember doing one last year in America. And it's huge on a cherry picker. I spent is that the one in Ohio? It, yeah, yeah, in Cleveland. And I did a huge bit. I probably spent six hours doing a bit of it and got down from the cherry pick and looked up and was like, nah, that's not working. So all the other artists had projected their work mm. and it was basically the same as what they'd done on Photoshop. I right. hate Photoshop. I don't want to be on computers. Mm. I like sketchbooks. I'm always drawing in my sketchbook. But what what's in a sketchbook's not going to look like what it's on a wall. And um, again, a bit like musicians. Like, what's the point of playing the same song over and over or knowing exactly how... The best thing about going to see a musician live, I think, is when they're halfway through a song and you recognise it. And I like that with painting. That It is a performance. It is a... It should be a, an experience. I want someone to feel that I've experienced something. When I make a canvas, especially in the studio, I could, I could draw things on canvas in pencil basically color it in and cut back and it would be really clean i'd probably sell more paintings if i did that but i really love and feel obliged almost to myself to like push it like in my studio i do things that are out there i'm it's not even me in a way i'm just cutting things up i'm just proliferating marks and and textures under the like the blind faith that in a month's time that thing that i'm doing is gonna fit just there or right, it's gonna right. do, it's like a so it's kind of like you're saving and hoarding things for later. Yeah, or just trusting the process right. and not planning mm. it. Um, so it's, it's in a way, it's kind of like a subconscious thing. Yeah, and relying that when things are slightly out of control and you're not aware of the outcome, that's probably when the best thing can happen. Or at mm. least there's the opportunity to discover something. If you already mm. know what it's going to look like, then you're not really going to discover it. It, right, you, yeah, you've yeah. got a preconceived so, idea. It's a similar way how I go about making music when I make music by myself, not in a collaborative way. But yeah, I just kind of let it come. Mm. But there's from what you said uh, earlier on about the philosophy, what you what you were asking with your work, that's going to come through each time, mm. you know. And that's that's cool, man. And yeah, it is playful. I can, it I can relate be to that. Yeah, yeah. Just you, just letting go be, and letting the creativity yeah. flow, basically. But then, it, like you're saying as well, like having those certain sort of things that you do or the little colours you match up and do you know what I mean that's how you still create your signature in your work but then at the same time just letting it go yeah it's funny because I never sign even canvases and stuff I find it I don't really like my signature I always sign the back of things okay your um, work's so obviously yours like it's uh, like your it? yeah like the, your hand me looking, but it's funny because what I was going to say is the colour like I've got a real thing about certain colours and there's always usually primary colours. There's some colours I hate as well. I never use purple, really. Ever. I'm not a purple fan Purple's either. Purple's rubbish colour. And, <laughs> and green as well. I'm not sure about green. but, but Ironically, love... green and purple are the polar opposite. <laughs> they can stay in the other room. But, <laughs> but turquoise and all the gradients of blue, yeah. Yeah. I love. And you can push turquoise into green. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's and magenta. Uh, Do you like that one? Yeah, she's all right. Oh, I love magenta. But um, magenta and teal. But oh, teal's the one. But blue Beautiful for colors. me is like a real signature thing for myself because my my mum's family name is Blue. Uh -huh. So it, I grew up with the word blue because it's my grandma's name and my mum's maiden name. That it's like a theme in my in my life already. And then the blues music and mm. um there's somebody at the door <laughs> uh, blues music like feeling blue uh i mean there's so many references to blue picasso blue period a uh, place in morocco i went called chef shawan yeah which is a magic place uh, mm. i was like 19 in morocco and the whole town is painted blue oh wow and every imaginable light blue so there's not just one blue right and it's the roof the floor the ceiling everything Right. And I was very inspired by that trip to Morocco. 
Should we get the next track on, which is something I've selected? And actually, it's called, this track is inspired purely by you oh. when I chose it. Uh, it's called Love and Happiness. Oh. Because these are words that you have in your tracks, in your, uh, in your paintings. And it's by Al Green. And it's oh. uh, also one it. of... Uh, do you know this track? Of course. Yeah. Oh, uh, man, this the is Reverend definitely Al Green. one of my favorite Shout out favorites. Al Green. Yeah, so, yeah, Love and Happiness by Al Green. Love and happiness Yeah Something that can make you do wrong Make you do right Yeah Love Love and happiness But wait a minute, something's going wrong Someone's on the phone Three o'clock in the morning yeah. Talking about How she can make it right yeah. Yeah. Happiness is when Really feel good about somebody. There's nothing wrong being in love with someone. Yeah.
Nice. Mm, yummy. Thanks for that, Louis. That's always been a favourite track of mine. And like I said earlier, Love and Happiness, that's David Schillinglaw all over. <laughs> nice. um, another thing that uh, I've noticed in your work, hmm. it's not always there, but it's, it is there frequently. And it's the reason why we asked you to come on the show, because the show's talking about environmental issues and so mm. on. And I've seen a couple of your works, um, one in particular said climate change is real. Mm. And so I wanted to talk to you about how you feel about climate change and how you feel about the environment. So yeah, mm. how did that painting come oh, out and where did yeah. you paint it actually? All right, that is a strange painting because I was in New York with Lily Mix Shout out, Lily. Who is in the studio with us, secretly sat by house. Clementine. <laughs> uh, Lily, you're, uh, going, you're going to be back here. Don't worry, we're going to talk to you soon. Now <laughs> be quiet and sit there. Uh, we were in New York. I was doing a painting for a friend of mine in his place, like a club bar. Shout right. out, Rich and Father Knows Best. And I was there and another friend of mine worked for a charity and they would doing it was world earth day right I'm, I'm like finding these memory this information in the back of my brain so it's been a while it was like three years ago or two right. years ago and they said oh will you send us a print to give away for world earth day and i said actually i'm in new york it was just coincidental mm. find me a wall to paint right because i was there for two weeks and she found me a wall to paint and she said whereabouts in new york was it brooklyn okay nice Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very good area to paint. Yeah, really nice. And and Lily and I were like, we can paint it together. And they said, that's amazing. So it was the first time Lily and I had painted together. So that's important. And it was a really big wall. But and it had a like the DeLorean car next to it. You know, the yeah, DeLorean yeah. from Back to the Future. It wasn't, but it was like that sort of car. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. made it nice. And there were two Alsatians on the roof that were barking at us all day. It was like, it was like a <laughs> Wes Anderson movie. This the whole day was weird because painting a big wall like that in one day, when you know you've Oh, got, you did that in one day? In one day. Oh shit. Managed to find the ladder somewhere. They paid for all the paint, but it was a big wall. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think how big it was. Like it's about twenty meet uh, twenty foot tall high. It's it's a pretty big Damn. boy. And they said, can you write the phrase climate change is real in it? Because right. that was their slogan for their charity. And I did. And we came up with this, yeah, just it was a bit of a last minute threw it together. Right. And we didn't really think about it, but it's still there. And people take pictures of it all the time. And in fact, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. took a picture of it. Well, no, someone took a picture of him in front of it. But right, he Instagrammed right. it anyway. Yeah. So I guess it had this uh, nice message that people were buzzing off because it is a big, Thing, oh, it's a big it? deal like it's I'm, even bigger based on the fact that some people don't think it's a big deal it's it's so big yeah. that some people can't see it that's the mad thing about it it's the elephant in the world yeah and i think we should all um do as much as we can to to, to act on it immediately <laughs> the boat is sinking. and so has um because i've seen that you've also did a, you've done an image of a planet with yeah. like some eyes in it yeah and well, so, i kind of feel like planet earth is a it, uh, for me, it has this like personification. I like the fact that different planets are like have their own personality. And, and then you put that into the man in the a billboard, right? Yeah, uh, that's another project. That was part of uh, is that the Subvert billboard the takeover? City, yeah. Um, through Brandalism. Yes, They're that's just, right. I've used that the was that this year that one. Times. Yeah, yeah. And I just they invited me to do it, and it's an amazing project. For if you don't know what it is, whoever's listening to this, they go around and they take all the adverts out of the bus stops all over the world in 52 cities, I think. Yeah. And they go around with skeleton keys. Um, and they make the skeleton keys and give them out to people as yeah, well, Yeah, I think they? they do it during the day, just in high vis. Yeah. And it's radical because they take all these stupid, mindless, brainwashed posters out and they replace it with pictures like the one what I made, yeah. which is a planet Earth as yeah. a, with eyes. Right. Actually crying. So it's got these little yeah. tears which are like lakes in Africa. So... Yeah, I like that idea that planet Earth is a person and right. we are all a little tiny flea living yeah. in the hair of planet Earth. Or actually, if you think about it, like each person is a, ne a neuron or an, uh, a, what's the thing in your brain that... Electron? No. Electrons. No, it's uh, not electron. A neurode? Neuron. Neuron, I think yeah. it's neuron. Yeah. I can't think of the word, but the thing in your... Synapse. 
There's so many words I don't know. There's many to more. Describe the brain. But <laughs> if each person is one of those things, and when you communicate, that's the consciousness. You know, I feel right. like humans are a bit like the consciousness of planet Earth. Right. Maybe we are the planet's like mind. Maybe. Yeah, there's, and if that I mean, is the case, then Planet Earth has serious mental health problems. It definitely yeah, does. I think which, it's it's probably quite upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one day it's going to sneeze, and <laughs> and humans <laughs> well, will just sneezing. be wiped off the face of the it Earth. It is sneezing now, then. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. I think. I mean, I I kind of look at it in the way that nature, the world, the Earth is a lot bigger than us, but I think a lot of people kind of feel like we're, they're above what the world is if that yeah, makes it's sense ridiculous. which is like yeah it doesn't make any sense i know um and yeah i mean we're just monkeys in shoes like it's mad <laughs> the, these 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 powers and the people i'm not going to get all political so i'm not even going to mention the name that i was going to mention there are yeah you don't need ridiculous to. people controlling the world <laughs> who are essentially if you take their clothes off and their shoes and their socks you definitely wouldn't um, want to see it they uh, they resemble <laughs> orangutans they do like we are clearly animals there's i don't know you can get really deep on it because everyone's got their own ideas of you know creationism of and religions and stuff like that i'm not religious at all i my religion is nature i'm in awe of it when i see the spider's web i'm just like blown away you know i'm still wondering why the sky is blue and the, the sky isn't blue well i i think it is no, but is okay it? so it's what color okay so go out at night what look up what color is it uh not black either. It's definitely <laughs> yeah, what not color blue. is space? Black is the color of space, isn't it? I mean, technically, the the sky has no color. You go out any given day, anywhere around the world, and you ask different people what color the sky is, and everyone will give you a different interpretation. Mm. If you ask uh, certain tribes, the word blue doesn't even exist. I listened to a podcast about that the yeah, other day. It's uh, amazing about the color blue. It's the last named color yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, planet Earth is in need of help. I do believe that. I don't. I'm not political. And do you feel like I'm just saying it works, needs our help? Do you feel like painting? I mean, because obviously my own work is that's what the whole emphasis of what I do is about is about raising awareness for species in decline, mm. which is affected by climate change and deforestation and so on. And I feel very empowered by painting out on in the public domain and reaching to new people and a new audience. But through your experience of doing. I guess it was just that one piece that you've done, which is linked in with climate change. Do you no, I've done a bunch. In fact, Lily and I are doing another collaboration at the moment. We're just about to finish it. And um, it has a message of don't worry, be happy. But right. B is spelled with B double bees, E. Because yeah. I love bees. And it's a way of talking about that. If you're going to paint a big picture on a wall, you should maybe use that opportunity to say a positive thing or talk about a subject. But I don't always do that in my work. There's another side of my work that's just me having fun right. and just painting and sort of being an artist who's sort of playing with paint. But sometimes if I'm given the opportunity to, I feel... <laughs> the guy that actually asked us to paint the wall that we've done the bees on us, he asked if it could be political. He specifically said, can you do something? It was around the time of the election. And right. he asked if we could put a picture of Jeremy Corbyn on it. And stuff. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm definitely not going to paint Jeremy Corbyn. But I was saying to him, look, I'm really into bees. And that is a political thing. Mm. And he's like, what? And I was like, well, think about it. Like, it is about ecology and crops and food. And apparently if bees die, then we're all going to die. And, and, but without making it really political, like, hey, everyone, it's the end of the world. So don't worry, be happy. And again, like playing with the spelling right. of B and writing some bees and it's kind of fun. And I think everyone knows that the bees are in trouble, don't they? So I think it's yeah, just well, a little Yeah, well, it's definitely something that humans identify with because everybody's seen a bee oh, and man. everyone has tasted honey. I'm really upset about it. I reckon what would be, for me, the perfect solution is that if instead of X Factor or any of these other mindless TV shows that celebrate nothing in these... Anyway, celebrities just drive me nuts. What about if bees became 
Th- just imagine a parallel universe where bees are the most famous thing on planet Earth. Right. And everyone, it was inst- if you found a bee in the street, it would be like you were meeting a celebrity and everyone's standing around and like, how can we help it? How can we help <laughs> it? And, like, if everyone turned around, we could maybe do, do something about it. But instead, we spend our time looking at Kim Kardashian's bum. And I think it's really sad because those things are going to die and they are massively and young teenage girls are more interested in which pop stars bought a new fake tattoo or something stupid so then do you think maybe that we could maybe move forward by encouraging those pop stars and celebrity cultures Uh, to embrace uh, more of an environmental impact you know, with bees or no, get rid change. of the celebrities and just replace them but with I don't the know. animals. I don't, no, I, I don't know. I think it's impossible because I think of the capitalism and the way that. But then, the, what about someone like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is becoming this huge advocate? He for is, the but the mainstream people don't care. The main, the majority. It's not cool to be kind, is it? Everyone's just interested in fake plastic crap, and even the small minority that oh, they work really hard. Yeah, mm. it is, but. There's still the X Factor and Love Island and Big Brother. That's appealing to the 90% brain-dead zombies on the world who just want to But do you not think that those people are also (laughs) interested in bees, for instance? No, I don't. Because I would disagree. I I think that you're correct in the sense that it's very hard to engage with those people and that the... Some people are not going to get the um, the ways in which, for instance, let's take it to the ocean because I find that an easier mm. case study. So if you're looking at the ocean, if I if I was to do a painting of a whale, and I've done many, and I then explain to people those whales are in danger because of rising sea levels, because of uh, the temperature in the ocean, because of pH changing in the ocean, because of um, plastics in the ocean, and because of overfishing. Mm. Their brains go blank. They, they can't take it all in because it's all an impact that's coming from them. It's all something that they are causing that effect. But if I show them a painting of a whale and I say, do you love whales? The vast majority of them go, oh, I love whales. They're amazing. And then if I say to them, well, whales are actually suffering from one of several reasons. Are you willing to understand ways in which you can change that? The vast majority of people, and through the work that I'm doing, I've experienced more and more and more people are saying, I want to do something. And so, therefore, it's a question of finding what is an easy approach for an everyday person to make a small change in their lifestyle. So, for instance, rather than going to the supermarket and buying uh, an aubergine with a plastic sheath on it, you pick the aubergine without the plastic sheath on it. And by explaining to the everyday person that that unsheathed aubergine means that the supply will change because your demand Mm. has changed. And if everyone mimics that, then that means the aubergines will stop being put with plastic thus that's a change in the in the cycle of our consumption now that person undoubtedly might be watching those tv shows as well but that doesn't mean to say that they're unaware of it does work like i'm not like completely without my own things that i contribute i contribute towards the end of the world yeah but recently Instead of buying a plastic toothbrush, I bought a bamboo toothbrush. There you go. I'm buying And bamboos. recently, I stopped <laughs> drinking dairy milk, even though I still eat butter. Right. Like, I'm making a small change that I don't drink milk. Right. Because I, I just feel, yeah, you can make small changes. And each thing you do is political. Where you buy your shoes from, where you buy your water from, which shop, all that stuff. <laughs> My point is that the more I think about it, the more I read about it, the more I see, is I realise that there's, like... A, a, a mass population. You know, there's 200,000 people are born every day. Mm. 200,000 people are born. I mean, 150,000 people die every day. Yeah. But that means there's 50,000 people being born every day, every day. And these are in areas of the world we don't see. This is in South America and Africa and China and places. People don't care. People are in their own little world making money to get more. That's all people want is more. Give me more. They don't want to do less. And yeah, you and I do, the people in this room do, and probably the 10 people we spend most time with do. And maybe if we keep asking people those questions and creating alternatives, like buy a, a bamboo toothbrush so that your toothbrush, when you throw it in the bin, buy goodbye, regrets. out of sight, out of mind. No, no, it ends up on a beach in Mexico. And I'm incredibly concerned personally i worry about it at night i also do things like i started this little magazine called dirty paradise it's not a political magazine and it's about art it's not made about 
art by artists, but the term dirty paradise came from us being in Mexico and I was seeing toothbrushes washing up on the shore and bottles from China washing mm. up on the shore of Mexico. I was like, this is mental. That's crazy. And I referred to it as a dirty paradise mm. and that kind of stuck. And the stuff with like, one of the things we want to do with dirty paradise is one of the issues we're going to put in a little thing of um, wild seeds. Right. And, in, and do it, get an artist to design the little envelope that it comes in to encourage people to scatter seeds because wildflowers will grow, which will help bees. Right. Yeah, I've done that um, a lot. With and that's myself. nice. It's a simple way of just promoting it. Yeah. Um, but I do think, unfortunately, maybe I'm just reaching the uh, uh, midlife. I don't know. I, there's a part of me that's like, no, no, the, the end of the world. The, the world's going to be all right. It's humans are going to go before the world does. That's all right. I'm actually not as concerned with planet Earth. It will heal itself. But I'm worried that people are just morons and they just want to consume. That's my... Mm. I, I'm a bit angry about it. I know how you feel. I'm sorry. I'm no, a, bit, no, no, I'm no, a no. bit annoyed. Dude, I climb inside that ro rabbit warren on a regular basis yeah. and I tear myself apart at times and I'm constantly trying to think of a new way in which we can eradicate the chaos and like bring some sense into people. Yeah. And, and I do get that pessimistic. Just shake just, all the people. Yeah. Just but the like, thing is, some of the most powerful you? people in the world who are supposed to be the role models, you know, the superheroes mm. and saints of our world now are morons. I mean, yeah, no, uh, there's a few great people coming out and maybe this toxic politics that I think's just gone out of control with like mad right wing, mad... <laughs> capitalist <laughs> madness uh, it feels like some Orwellian book I really feel like I'm living in a comic book when I watch the news but maybe out of the darkness you know they say the darkest hour is just before the dawn and they maybe the political stuff that's gone on recently with Jeremy Corbyn maybe there's a 17 year old girl who's going to be the next prime minister right now feeling mm -hmm. something but well it's interesting you say that actually because I've I was at a, a, a climate, uh, well, an environmental conference in California. And one of the guys I met, he was 16, I think. And I can't remember his name. It's um, a Native American name. And I physically just can't remember that name. But he was an amazing being. And he's actually a hip-hop MC as well. And he's part of a collective who are suing the American government for climate change. Mm. And... The reason I mention that is because you mentioned about a young person being germinated by current affairs. And so for me, the way I see it right now is that what we've got going on is there's a generation change. And we've seen that in the UK where we've seen old people voting for a Brexit, which your younger generation totally didn't want. And we're at a point where around the world there is a generation change and politics and the way in which we interact with each other is going to have a huge shift. And now we've got young people who are brave enough to stand up and take a government to court for something that was changing and being destroyed before they were even given breath. And that's empowerment. And I find that particularly exciting about where we're going as, as a race. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'd go further with that. I but think we all, I think it ends terribly for humans. My, I read a lot of weird, I don't know, things that make me feel like, in a in 2000 years we've gone and actually maybe there's another species that i read this story about how actually crows could, <laughs> could potentially evolve and it's a wow. great it's presented as a as a story not as a, a factual thing and it's amazing because there are animals that could evolve you know like rats you well there like are species two, evolving in, all the time in 10,000 years as a species of rat or cockroach that's like us yeah anyway in the end of the story the crows <laughs> that evolve and the crows invent not like me because the crows can fly <laughs> they don't invent cars or you know and they're just a flying species that grow and grow over a thousand years and in the end they get to the moon they right. work out how to get to the moon and they get to the moon and there's a NASA spaceship on the moon and they're like, but <laughs> <laughs> crows are very intelligent and they've got vocal. Can't you teach a crow to, um, my dad used to have a speak. pet crow and he would uh, not speak, but like they had like, my dad would mimic the sounds of the crow and they'd have a conversation. They'd have they'd a crow off a crow off. Yeah. So <laughs> next track is it? I think. Yeah. I yeah, can't believe yeah, I just yeah. predicted the end of the human species. With crows. I'm what? sorry if I've, I'm, I'm no, a bit hungover no. as well. I, I feel 
sorry about that. <laughs> Recently, I've taken a bit of a pessimistic point of view on planet. I think hell is other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to uh, actually now escape, which is difficult because you can't get off planet Earth. But actually, I've just moved out of my house and right. my plan is to move out of the city and become a bit of a ruralist. My plan is to maybe buy an old farm right. or something and grow my own vegetables. That's what I want. Keep my bees. Yeah. I've got a friend who keeps bees in Germany. He's going to come and keep bees with me. I'd like to be as self-sufficient and as conscientious of what I consume as possible. I hate going to Waitrose. I've just moved out of my flat yesterday after 12 years and Waitrose was next door. And I used to go in nearly every day mm. because I'd go, oh, I need that. And I'd end up spending a tenner every day yeah. in Waitrose yeah. on perfectly yeah. ripe avocados, which I love, but I really resent. Like, why am I buying a perfectly ripe avocado in December? Where has this come from? Where, how many miles has this traveled? Right. And it really upsets me because I'm part of it. I consume loads. <laughs> I'm a real consumer, but it, I, I love it and hate it at the same time. And it worries me that the weird thing about it is those things we take for granted, like a supermarket or water coming out of your tap. If you had to go and get water yourself, like people do in villages in Africa, where I've been, and people live in this village and like, oh, wow, this is a very basic way of living. But they know how much water they use. They know where it comes from and they know how much they waste. And we don't. We just stand in the shower all day. We do the dishes. We go to the supermarket. We turn our lights on and off. There's only a few things separating us from living in a village. Yeah. In their electricity because, and convenience. It's because there's no water. there's no reference. It's just readily available. Mm. And we take what we want and not what we need. That's pretty much it. And I think what what you're doing is a great example of of doing something you know what you feel you want to do and that's great because it it sounds like you've looked into all these you know different ways of how you can change your life and it's it's so easy to stay and be comfortable yeah of course of course and so many people are in that and i like what you've both two just been talking about but really and truly it comes down to educating you know educating so people can take ownership of their life and do what you know do mm. something like that or and, just or just make small changes yeah, like you know? talk about alternatives because there yeah. are alternatives like I, for example i've got a friend in vienna and she lives in this building and they all have a co-op for fruit and veg so there's one room in the building where between 40 of them they never have to go and buy vegetables they just go into the room there's always stuff there and and i'm like that's so simple yeah and yet i don't know anyone else who does it so maybe if I start doing it, maybe that will inspire some. Because yeah. there are alternatives. Rather than going to a supermarket, you can go to farmers markets, or you can go, to, mm. and it's probably more expensive and it takes more time. But I think I worry every time I go into a supermarket that I see like a, a flash in the ten years in the future, and the supermarkets are are like refugee camps. They're, there's no food in them. Right. Yeah, I heard a statistic the other day. We'll end on this because uh, to round this off, this is a crazy fact that I heard the other day, that in the next 50 years, humans have to produce more food than the last 10,000 years. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. Hey, it's crazy. 50 years, 10,000 years. I mean, how, I don't know, are they going to create new food out of... Well, it'll be um, all genetically modified. And the soil, um, oh, the soil's not going to be good to use. In about no. 30 years, they reckon the soil's not good to use anymore mm, and as yeah. for the water well it, it's, that's it's, what they say the next war will be about is water what's next war it is the war we're no, in no, the war no no right no but now. like yes we are in a war but like the the, the world war as in like the, the war that will potentially destroy everything will I be about that water. war's already happening and it's been going on for 10 years and just no one calls it world war three it's yeah, happened it's happening yeah. on cyber it's happening in the oceans it's happening all over russia yeah. and china and america yeah and yeah Kill us all, man. (laughs) This is our second episode. Is Um, it the end of the world as we know it by R.E.M.? No, 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 no. no, no. Because one thing, if if you (laughs) listeners out there don't really know um, what I do, Um, my name's Hailu. I run Unit 137, which is a collective of artists. And we run a sound system, which we're listening to the music on. Uh, Run a recording studio and a record label. And I wanted to play you a vinyl from our record label, which is from my, um, yeah, my my brother, brother in arms, Sleepy Time Ghost, who did a track with an artist called Ras Demo. And the track is called Rule Your Destiny. So, yeah, quite a, a good track to play for what we've just been talking about. 
So this was the third release we put out and came out in 2013. Whilst, whilst that track was spinning, and what an amazing track that was. Um, Dave, thank you. Thanks, Hads. We got on to the discussion of iPhones and the way in which uh, we've become like this drone world where everything exists in like, the pocket of our hand. So Remote controls. Yeah. So and, and David was telling us a bit about how um, he philosophizes that um, we're going to become this 
new species of people that well explain it what, what you were say- saying you were saying how <laughs> you were saying how like uh there's going to be this divide of people and there's going to be the small amount oh of no that's that's, that's from and, a book that i was saying right. from sapiens by uvo harari and he predicts that the future because there's so many people like i was saying the overpopulation's out of control in fact did you know there's more people alive on planet earth than have ever died oh wow. my god wow where do you find these apparently uh, that's like one of these weird (laughs) facts that so many people i tell it to like that's that couldn't possibly be true and uh apparently if everybody wanted to play hamlet there wouldn't be enough skulls basically that's where i read it wow um it's out of control and yeah the future is bleak because there's not the same industries for people to go into we should be training young people to to do things that we'll need in the future but we're not because computers are taking those those roles so like i was saying the guy that's delivering trucks or the guy that the girl that's doing the supermarket checkout these jobs are being replaced by computers and they're not being retrained into something useful so the future is probably going to be difficult for people who aren't uh, skilled in the new media or the new technologies and Mm. and at the same time everyone's really equipped on their iphones it's like the iphone is this um a little looking glass into this virtual reality that everyone kind of exists on. But actually, we don't exist on it. The, the internet is not real. It's, it's weird. It fascinates me, the internet, because I love it and I hate it. It's weird. I'm a bit maybe addicted to it, actually. And last, I year, I, last year, I took five weeks off the internet. I went to Mexico and I deliberately didn't use the internet. I used my phone as music and, you know, an alarm clock, but I didn't turn the internet on. And... Uh, I found it weird. I've been on it ever since. I love it. I really love it, but I hate it because it's not real. I've got this bit of an obsession with how like reality that's in your mind, the subjective reality, it's just like your dreams and your consciousness. That's your reality. And then there's the objective reality in front of you, like this sofa, that record. This is a real thing that we can talk about and tap. And it's a real objective thing. But the internet is like this other reality that doesn't really exist. Probably it does in a warehouse in California on a hard drive. I don't know where the information is. And yet it's happening at real time. Right. Like this reality and like the one in my head, it's happening. And you've got to keep up with it. Mm. If you don't go on the internet, you might miss something. You know? right. The news is happening. People, I find out about the news actually from Twitter rather than newspapers. The internet is this real-time narrative, which we're all part of, and I mean all of us. I've been to refugee camps where people have better phones than me. Like everyone on planet Earth pretty much is online. Right. And that's new as well. That is really new. That's yeah. new. I think it hasn't quite taken full effect yet. More it's, people have Android phones than they'd have a computer. Yeah. And everyone's got that in the palm of their hand. Which is very problematic for me. I find it very difficult for myself because I'm always on it. And actually, I try, okay, turn it off. If I'm on the underground and, or, or the train, I see everyone on their phone, I get my book out and read it. I feel right. like, nah, fuck you, I'm not one of you. <laughs> and then as soon as no one's there, I get my phone out. Yeah. So I'm like this weird Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde with it. <laughs> um, but people walking down the street, I almost want them to bump into me. You know, when they walk so close, they're looking at their phone. And yeah, they, I, I, I shadow that sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, go on, walk into me. Yeah. But then I'm not because I've bumped into people looking at my maps, you know, and you're like, yeah. well, I justify I'm looking at my maps. It's like, mm. shut up, put your phone away. Yeah. And I um, think it's, it's interesting. It's yeah. not good or bad. It's very interesting because it's, it's affecting all of us. Class, uh, religion, sexuality, all those things, it transcends them and has united us, but at the same time, disconnects us. Mm. Because... In many ways, like, my friends in, uh, in Germany do this thing where they put all their phones in a pile on the table when they go out to dinner and the first person to get their phone out has to pay for the meal. <laughs> and I love that I like because that. whenever I go for a meal with them, I know that no one's going to be looking at their phone. I yeah. find it really rude. Yeah. But I've got to admit, sometimes under the table, I'm like, oh, look, I've got a little... I've got a little text message. I'm just going to Did you see that. there's, uh, I don't know if it's, if they've done it fake or something, but there's uh, a YouTube where they put all the phones in a circle and a pop, uh, uh, an unpopped corn in the middle and then no. the phones ring. They all ring at the same time and the corn pops and that's the... The yeah, radiation. The radiation coming from the phone. Scary shit. I've got... Um, fake news. 
<laughs> fake news, yeah. That Trump news. Um, I have. Don't say his name. Nah, you got to say it because like we all hate. Hang him. on, I just trumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top Trumps was a good game when we were kids. <laughs> I've got a remix of um, that first track that you chose, David. Like I said, it's it's a track that I love very much and. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> something into Clementine. Into Clementine. And that's the speaker, not She'll something right. else. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Clementine. No, she's um, fine. But sometimes people do horrible things to her and they put drinks on her and then yeah. they spill inside no. her. Can we just reach out to so, the audience and, and just remind them, if you're ever at a sound clash and you see a huge orange, it is really Clementine um, sound system, just don't put a drink don't, on it. Yeah, just don't. Why? It's not a drinks hold. I didn't don't, make it for that. Don't shove your coat in it. Yeah. That muffles the sound. Hmm. Yeah, what are you thanks. doing? Thanks, Lee. Um, so we're going to play uh, Leroy Sibbles on an album called Studio One Funk. It's been released by Soul Jazz Records. And what's particularly cool about this is that it highlights kind of a little bit of a sound system circle here because um, Jamaican sound system culture originates from going over to the States to collect vinyl mostly 45s and as the music changed in the states which as music does in generations the jamaican sound system hunters decided that they didn't like the music that was being produced anymore thus they came home and started to redo their own versions of tracks and that's why you find a lot of funk and soul and r&b tracks remixed into jamaican sound system culture and it got renamed into Rocksteady and Scar, then became reggae and then went through all the different genres through to what we're into now, which is dancehall and conscious rhythm dancehall. Have I got all that right, Adam? You know a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, the, the, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Mastermind. You should go on Mastermind. Mastermind, mate. yeah. I, I've been collecting records for okay. near 15, 17 years and That's reggae music's always been something I'm fascinated by. So yeah. I love it. Hmm. Yeah. Should we spin? Yeah, and I think we're going to end it on this tune, aren't we? Yeah. So I just like to say to thank you to. Thanks both for having of you. me. No, yeah. thanks for coming through, David. It's I hope been I great. said some yeah, things no. that were interesting. It's been great. Is there anything that you don't say that's oh. interesting? Predict <laughs> <laughs> the end of the world. But yeah, you are a man of well, many many it, things. We've got it on recording now. Um, yeah. Thanks. Good luck. Have a good day. Yeah, yeah for sure. Too. Like the man say, each and every day, this is another. Thank mm-hmm. you.